Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James and welcome to the season 2019-20 review. The final podcast of the season uh, and maybe a little bit of a more measured analysis from the giddy heights of last week when we beat Brentford to get to the Premier League. It still sounds great. I'm joined today by Don Betts. Hello, hello. Farrell Monk. Hello, friends. And on my Zencaster screen, which is how we record these podcasts remotely these days, I have Jarms underscore Ballon underscore Door. Hello, Ben Jarman. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Is that how highly you think thought, of your podcasting uh, abilities? You should win a Ballon d'Or for them. Uh, not my podcasting abilities. I'd say maybe my abilities on a five-a-side football pitch uh, is up there. Okay. Um, Potentially like a Sunday League Ballon d'Or. Anything else is just uh, I'm in. He's the, the, he's the best ball playing centre back that five sides ever seen. Ah, oh, that's high praise for me. Thank you. He's man. not Guy Barlow. Taken aback. No, I'm not a Guy Barlow. Actually, he's miles better than me. <laughs> Farrell saw my footballing abilities last Sunday, and it's safe to say I'm definitely not willing a Ballon d'Or for those. Am I, Farrell? I mean, shall I try and be kind? I mean, it wasn't your best performance, uh, to be honest. Um, there was a there was a wonderful miss from four yards, um, but you know, but you know I can't fault you for effort, and that's all I can ask. Thanks very much. Yeah, you definitely didn't try to be kind there, did you? Uh, right, let's have a look back then at the season as a whole. So we're going to kind of work our way through it. Uh, I've got some questions at the end. I'm going to ask you your favourite game, goal, pivotal moments of the season. And then after the break, uh, we've got quite a lot of, of questions, which uh, some of them are kind of looking ahead to the next season and then, and then some of them looking back retrospectively as well. So... The logical place is to start at the beginning and it was not the most electric way to start a promotion campaign, Dom. A 1-0 defeat up at Barnsley, you were there and if I'd have told you after that day that we're going to win promotion, I imagine you probably would have laughed in my face. I don't necessarily laughed in your face, but it would definitely have taken a lot of work from what I saw that day. I remember, you know, everyone was, you know, when we, when we saw all the signings we made and we're going in, we're going to this game against Barnsley, we we're like, oh yeah, this, this should be like, this is, this is a game where we can sort of make our mark on the league and go on from there. But these kind, these kind of games, this is probably actually, obviously, they've just been promoted after having a great season in League One. We've come down after having this sort of, I wouldn't say, I guess it is a losing mentality. And I think, Playing a promoter team once you've been a relegated team is actually one of the hardest games, you can, especially away from home, is actually one of the harder games you can probably have on the first game of the season just because you've got two completely different mentalities going into this because you've obviously got ours, which were aiming for promotion, but we've been losing nearly every game for like the last year. And then you've got Barnsley, who've been winning every game. Their home record have been excellent. Obviously, they they got they got the opening goal. But in, in, if you look at our lineup, it wasn't exactly a weak team. You know, we had Bettinelli, Adoy, Mawson, Maxime Lamarchon started. You had Joe Bryant at left back, midfield three of Kenny, Hanson, McDonald with Abubakar, Kamara, Mitrovic and Ivan Cavallero. But yeah, it was just abysmal that day. And when that game ended, I was like... I th- it's it's only the first game, but there's definitely a lot of work to be done. And, and you, if, even if you li- just look at the team I just listed, the change in the lineup from that team to the team we saw, you know, in post lockdown and in the final is 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 amazing, really. I mean, Farrell, Scott Parker went on and on and on and on and on all the way through the season about mentality, and he talked about it even after the playoff win and how it was his big job was to change the mentality around Fulham and probably that game to him must have been the clearest signal ever there's still a lot of work to be done with this squad mentally they're still scarred from the experience of of getting relegated and getting hammered every week yeah and and also in in what he said uh was you know he had a very difficult job not just changing the mentality but also um the fact that he had a long-term vision of how he saw this team wanting to play and results weren't going to come straight away. So he had to have like a very fine balancing act uh, to to think of the long-term picture, but also having to pick up results and pick up results quickly um, before losing is ingrained within the, within the squad and within the club. Um, but, you know, 
I think Scott Parker did an, an an excellent job. When you look back on it now, obviously it was it was a slow. It was like sl- turning a turning a huge tanker to try and do things, but you know results did come quite quickly. Um, so I think Scott Parker actually needs some credit there as well. Um, I think after that they we we had a couple of couple of wins um, come straight away and and yeah I think once you once you get those results on the board early doors then then that's that's obviously having a good effect I mean you know we've only got one one other season as comparison in recent memory when we went down back in 2014 and you know Felix Magat was an absolute joke as 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 a Fulham manager but you know he's he's a he's a manager with a lot of experience and couldn't couldn't get a win for Toffee. I think it was eight losses on a bounce. So I think that shows the the level of of difference and the level of quality in between the two managers uh, that we have right there. And then Ben, shortly after the Barnsley game, we won a couple of games on the spin. They were kind of like fairly routine wins. Then came one of the best Fulham matches of the season. Four games in. Fulham four, Millwall nil, death by a thousand passes. And okay, Millwall did not offer a single shred of fight, which is very unlike Millwall, but it probably was one of the most complete Fulham performances that I've ever seen. And and I know you were there to witness it that night. Yeah, me and you sat together that night. And I think, uh, as you rightly say, it's one of those performances where every part of the pitch worked fantastically well. There was uh, great balance. We moved the ball incredibly quickly. We exploited all those weak areas of Millwall. Um, we passed through the thirds. We we isolated their midfielders. And as you rightly say, we passed them to death and scored four tremendous goals. Uh, I always remember the the goal uh, that Knockhart scored where there was, I, I think it was like roughly 15 to 20 passes in that build-up. Um, and also the Cavaliero rocket. Mm. Um, there was there was so many great goals in that game, and I feel like we all came away thinking, "Oh, we're really going to click here." Um, and and this was a, a turning point for Fulham. That would that would have been our, our third win on the bounce. It, it didn't really materialise to be that way, did it? I mean, in the games after that, we we didn't win another game for an, another five games. So uh, I felt like we 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 may have uh, peaked too early. Yeah, we did a little bit and there was a frustrating run, wasn't there? We, we we lost to Forest. I think that was one of the most frustrating defeats of the season because I think win four games in the spin at the, at the start of the season. And I think top two would have been there. And we, and we spoke a little bit about it, Dom, how that draw against West Brom just meant we never quite got in top two contention and I, and I think those opening couple of months really kind of sealed our fate that this was going to be a playoff season and not a top two season because although West Brom and Leeds really had their wobbles they they did a lot of the hard work in those opening months just keeping their their heads above water in those top two positions yeah you only have to look at not you look at the Forest game you look at the West Brom game you know if we, if we got maybe got a draw in the Forest game then we, we should have beaten West Brom that day it could have been a totally different season and then even if you go after the West Brom game there was that Sheffield Wednesday with Newhu uh, scoring in what was it in 94th, 5th, 6th minute, whatever minute it was and you know I was at Hillsborough that day and it it, it was devastating because we deserved the win that day and we played really well and that was probably one of the only times we we've really gone the lead and we've really actually been sucker punched after it really you know it was definitely we were definitely playing it was definitely a different side in those first couple of months of the season, I'd say. You know, it wasn't the Fulham team post-lockdown where if we took the lead, you were fairly confident that we wouldn't end up losing that game. So, yeah, I think these there was the, 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 especially those games against Forest and West Brom, if we had got some points in those, more than one, maybe got four points instead of, instead of one, then it could have been a top two season. But I guess it was just sort of the, this was just the way that this team had to learn and the way Parker had to sort of deal, deal with these setbacks. And yes, it wasn't, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't start electrically, but then if you, even if you look and you move into the beginning of October, you could argue that we, two of our best performances were in these, in this opening stage against Mill, as you said, and then that 4-1 win away at Reading. Yeah, that 4-1 win at Reading, we were absolutely amazing that day. It looked like Tom Kearney was going to hit the top corner every single time he got the ball um, for a point. He scored three unreal goals in in two games, uh, particularly that Wigan goal as well. A real highlight for me at the Hammersmith end to really seal that win against a difficult Wigan team. Potentially one of the biggest moments of the season, Farrell, came 
after the game away at Stoke City and and we were really poor in that Stoke game and and Stoke by this point it's easy to forget I think that's their first win of the season if not it was certainly um one of their very first they'd had an absolutely terrible start we came away with a 2-0 defeat and of course after that game um is the last time we saw Bessinelli regularly in a Fulham shirt and, and into that Luton game, he made the call to bring Marek Rodak into the team. And that's probably one of the most significant decisions of the season. Well, um, it's interesting you say that because um, when you, in preparation for this podcast, you had asked us what, what was the three pivotal moments of the season. And I think, well, one of the ones that I've chosen is, is the fact that Rodak getting the nod over Bettinelli um, after that Stoke game. I mean, the, looking back at that Stoke game, um, you know, there was Bettinelli had a bit of a mare to start off with. He was quite shaky for their first goal. He, he had slipped and then not long after that, he'd slipped again on a one-on-one situation and um, uh, quite uh, lucky not to actually concede a, concede a penalty straight after that. Um, and it was only through good fortune that Bettinelli got another look in because Rodak um, got sent off against Middlesbrough not long after he got the nod. But, you know, after that, Rodak, um, he really hasn't looked any way, shape or form losing that, that in figuratively num- number one's number one spot. Cause he's been, you know, he's definitely in contention for, for player of the season. He's, he's my choice of player of the season. That's for sure. Um, you know, we saw glimpses of what he was capable of in his, in his full debut against uh, Southampton, the cup when he, he wasn't a one person mission to, to keep Southampton at bay. Although they, you know, we did go on to lose that game one nil, but we saw glimpses of, glimpses about how good a player he is and you know it would have been quite easy for Scott Parker to drop Mark Rodak after the Borough game thinking oh he's inexperienced because it was a it was a moment of 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 um complete inexperience to get sent off and, and think of well I might as well go with Bettinelli he's a bit of a safer choice but Scott Parker showed his faith in him and and you know he's really repaid that faith with some outstanding um performances and and consistent performances as well there's only one other game this season which I think that Barnsley game at home later on in the season where I thought oh uh, it's a bad performance there from Rodak but I can't really pick out another one from that no I don't think I can pick out another one from that and um, we will get on to slightly more positive times in a moment Ben but shortly after that Stoke game which I would have thought would have potentially been up there for one of the worst moments of the season was Hull at home an absolute humbling by the side that eventually finished bottom of the league of course Hull were a slightly different animal that day with with Jared Bowen and Grzycki still on the books for them um, but it was it was an, it was a counter-attacking masterclass from Hull but it just showed that actually get your tactics right and this Fulham side was very, very fallible. And after that day, I really was thinking, God, we're not even, we're nowhere near contention. And we dropped to eighth at the end of that game. I think that game exploited all the weaknesses of the the, the side that we had there when um, I think it was like time and time again, we would all, we would all tweet or, or say in the WhatsApp group, oh, we've had, you know, bang on 70% possession or at least very high 60s and one shot on target and we've lost um, by a couple of counter-attacking goals. And I think this performance at, at home to Hull underlined that. I think um, the possession stats were unreal. I think we were sort of like mid to high, mid to high 60s. Uh, 70, in, in 75%. Possession. 75% possession, there you go. Um, and, and we still lost 3-0, which I think exploited all the weaknesses that we had in the counter-attack. The fullbacks were way too high, uh, consistently out of position, and, and we got countered more often than not. And, and we saw this across so many of the games um, up until around about Christmas time. Um, and then we started to to kind of change the way we played. And ultimately, we transformed into a bit of a different team after lockdown. Yeah, um, we'll come on to that kind of lockdown period in a moment. But Dom, following that Hull game, we went up to Birmingham and it was uh, it was a horrible Saturday in November. The weather was no good and it was a, a difficult place to go at that time. Birmingham City were on fairly good form, if I remember. It was teaming it down and... Mitrovic was the difference that day and, and it sparks a run of, of four wins in a row. But I'm, I really think that win away at Birmingham was, was crucial to getting our season back on track. 
It was crucial. I mean, it was a terrible game of football. Uh, that's what I thought Awful. you were going to end with. That's what I thought you were going to say when you started saying terrible. I thought it was, gonna, it was just going to end in game of football because it was. It was very poor. I remember everyone going in at half time and thinking, "What have we just watched?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> genuinely, ge- genuinely, what have we just watched? Um, another reason it was big. It was obviously just for the November international break. Uh, it was yes. the it was the last game going into that and going into that international break. Obviously, last one before the potential March international break, which will, it would have been one. It wasn't, it wasn't for COVID-19, but it was, it was big to go into that with a win, no matter how it happened. And we got that win through the Mitrovic goal, Lee camp being prime Lee camp that day. Um, by, by, by that was being absolutely terrible, but yeah, no, it was, it wasn't a pretty game. Um, it wasn't a very, it wasn't a good game of football at all. I remember it that day it was freezing cold, but we got the win. And that's what I'm mad. And as you say, it sparked a, a run of four wins in a row following the international break. We ended up being QPR, obviously, two at home without Mitrovic because I think he got his fifth yellow card that day against mm. Birmingham. Then there was that 3 0 win against Derby County and then ended it, the, the reading run with that. See that away win at Swansea. Uh, so, yeah, four wins on the spin, but then followed by, and this seems kind of typical of how Fulham's season would go. Four wins on the spin, followed by three defeats in a row. There was a controversial loss against Bristol City where, well, there was nothing controversial about Bristol City's performance, but Niskins Cabano denied an absolute stonewall pen uh, in the 90th minute. I I mean, I've never been more livid in my life after that game. A really meek defeat up at Preston, which you you could have predicted um, before the season even started. And then probably one of the lower points of the season uh, a 1-0 defeat to Brentford at Griffin Park um, Faz it, it was an awful awful day Brentford should have won by 5 or 6 nil. Alfie Mawson had potentially the most torrid performance of his career that day and it was the day where we all just said to each other well the automatic hopes are absolutely gone we were quite wrong to be quite dismissive and there was an awful lot of pressure on Scott Parker after this one an awful lot of pressure yeah there was so much to unpick um after that game um it was definitely the lowest point of the season I would say not not only um were we now firmly on a bad run with the three losses in the row we'd also allowed Brentford to go above us which I think was a bit of a kick in the teeth for 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 the fans at least um you know the game actually started quite fairly well for Fulham I remember Cabano he he got the nod after after coming off the bench against against Bristol City and almost forcing the um the penalty late on and then managed to get a start and um you know was definitely one of our brighter sparks I think he hit the post um had another good opportunity that was that was um that was saved by uh David Rea and but then after that it was just one way it was just one way traffic after about after um and Waymo got got their goal uh Brentford were solidly in control they they should have run away with that game um you know we were quite fortunate to come away with just a just a one nil loss and it was a real toxic atmosphere it was a real toxic toxic atmosphere in the in the stands um it was kind of um, it almost felt embarrassing to to be there while you're trying to applaud the players off, and there was so much vitriol being thrown thrown at the players because obviously the players go off right next to the away fans uh, back down the tunnel, and you know I feel that probably Scott, it was you know a, a moment in the season that Scott Parker really had to earn his beans there and try and turn turn it back around for us because there was nothing. Looking back, there was nothing really that we could, we could say that Scott Parker did in that game to try and change things. You know, you, the, we were waiting for that chance to try and get back to the game and, and it just didn't arrive. And, you know, I, I think that even the substitutions, even some of the players coming off the bench that day, I'm looking back at it and Deco Dover-Reed came, off, came on and so did Knockhart and, and so did Abubakar Kamara, who were three sort of like game-changing type players. But, you know, they were ineffective and... That's that's laying, you know, that's laying the blame on the manager and and his and his uh, and his team. So, you know, coming coming away from that, you're really dejected. You really think, well, where can we go from here? Um, and it's amazing, you know, when you look when you look on it now, you think, where can we go from here? And then you you look back and you think, oh, actually, it did get better after that. You know, it was the Leeds Leeds United at home, which we did get a win against them and for me it was one of the higher points of the of the uh, of the season 
it was a brilliant game that that Leeds United win and Ben I imagine you'd enjoy talking about that game again because of course we were so terrified of what Marcelo Bielsa would do to Scott Parker and we'd seen his kind of inept tactics in that Brentford game and the Preston game in particular and we genuinely thought that Leeds could win this 5-0 we got ourselves in front through a, a very ropey penalty that, that Mitrovic um, tucked away Bamford got Leeds back into the game and then Josh Onoma who had been so maligned by the fans up until that point um, became the hero of the day but also Scott became the hero of the day because we really looked at how Bielsa's side set up and Parker did everything he could to stop them playing their usual free-flowing brand of football. Yeah I've got this down as one of my three pivotal moments of the season uh, this home result because I think I feel what this result did was underline the potential that Scott had earlier on this in, in the season that potentially um, had gotten maybe slightly awry in those games in the run-up to Leeds. Obviously, the, the three defeats to Bristol City, Preston, North End, and, and then that shoddy defeat away to Brentford, I think heaped um, huge amounts of pressure on Scott. And, and I think what he did in this game was really start to potentially turn the tide of a few people um, to to beat uh, one of the, the most talented coaches in the whole world as convincingly as we did there. Uh, I think it really underlined... Um, some of Scott's managerial prowess. Obviously, he, him and his team had worked really hard on looking into into Bielsa's formation, um, his styles of play, his patterns of play much more deeply than than he had to any of his previous opponents. It, it, it seemed, and I feel like this maybe um, was like a, a forefront or a forerunner to our sort of change intact away from being like a possession heavy team to realizing that we could be a strong unit. Um, a balanced unit uh, and a unit that has good shape um, and discipline out of possession. And I think this game uh, was where we tested the water um, and and that sort of became uh, a little bit more of a blueprint towards the back end of this season. But I feel, as, as I said a couple of times, I felt like it underlined uh, the potential that we had in Scott and this, this um, group of players. I feel like a lot of them came out after the, the playoff final and said that we we discovered a mentality that we didn't want to be beaten and we were sick to death of being beaten and that we didn't want to just give up three points every week. Um, and I feel like this is that game. It was a real pivotal moment, that game, because I think if Leeds have won, they would have been 15 points clear of us um, at Christmas. As it ended up, it was only um, a, a nine-point gap. It was, it was so pivotal. And then, of course, Leeds and West Brom kind of went on their famous blip of the year and they really really you know started losing games left right and center and Fulham just kind of remained consistent throughout most of January and, and February picking up mostly wins I was an annoying defeat on New Year's Day against Reading where Reading did play pretty well and we just didn't really know how to deal with them uh, and all culminated Dom in a 1-0 win up at Blackburn in February Joe Bryan and Amitrovic combining for the goal we played very very well got a little bit lucky and then at the end of that day the the table in the championship was West Brom on 56 points Leeds on 55 and then Fulham who had played one game more but also on 55 points there was a real feeling at that point that automatic promotion was was very much on yeah and I think this Blackburn game was when everyone really started maybe I made people outside of them started to see the effect that Michael Hector had on his side once he once he came in in January because yeah. he was an absolute rock at the back this day. Our defence had massively improved. You know, we, we had a clean, we had a clean sheet away at Hull, clean sheet at home to Middlesbrough, clean sheet away at Charlton, and then we obviously that, that weird three-two victory over Huddersfield, obviously. But um, I don't really know what happened towards the end of the first half there for Fulham. But yeah, we got another clean sheet away at Blackburn. And I think you, we were really starting to see. This is when I think our, our team was sort of developing into the team we were, we saw sort of post-lockdown, I guess you can say. The team that was very tight at the back would get the odd goal. Because, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're, looking at all, you're looking at all the wins here, they are, they are, they are by the one goal. You know, we beat, we beat Hull 1-0, beat Middlesbrough 1-0, beat Huddersfield 3-2, beat Blackburn 1-0. So it was by the, by the one-goal margins, but we, we were staying in, we were staying in com- competition for those top two places. And and yeah, and I think actually after the Blackburn game was obviously when we went away to Mill midweek, and I think this is one of it was a very disappointing game for me personally anyway because it's one of those games where you look at it and it was one of those games we 
really should have won. We took the lead very early on in the game. And then once we got that goal, we never really sort of went on from there. But yeah, and I think around this period, as I said, was definitely the time you were starting to see the effect that Michael Hector was having on this team. Uh, and then Farrell, we, we've spoken on previous podcasts about was there one moment in the season where you think Fulham blew automatic promotion? And of course, it doesn't matter now because we won via the playoffs and OK, an extra two weeks would have maybe been nice for the squad and maybe a little bit easier on our heart rates. But it's all kind of academic now. But that Barnsley defeat 3-0, Marek Rodak had a, had a real shocker that game. It does feel like looking back the the big anomaly in Fulham season and just one which you wonder if we hadn't have just if we just hadn't have screwed that up we maybe would have made a real real automatic charge I feel like um, there should be a podcast in the championship devoted to teams almost blowing automatic promotion or, or playoff positions in the league we could probably rattle on about it for quite some time I think for Fulham at least this was one of the one of the key ones uh, and also fortunately it was the, one of the games that I missed this season so a good one to miss as well oh, the, very Corley, nice. the, the Corley Woodrow stroke Marek Rodak show um, yeah it, it was certainly one that was a was very much a kick in the teeth um you know, we are coming off of the back of a, of a very quite quite a decent run. You know, the side is becoming to be is coming to be more and more settled. Scott Parker's um, realizing that the work that they're doing on the training ground week in week out is finally coming to fruition. And then out of nowhere, Barnsley, who were you know rock bottom of the league at this point, um, coming to automatic promotion um, contenders and you know, pretty much wiping the floor with them. You know, I can't really recall off the top of my head, looking back at the highlights um, of any particular moments that Fulham were getting back into the game. You know, Barnsley just came with the game plan. Um, Corley Woodrow was able to exploit gaps in behind our defence and did it with with a plot. Um, but yeah, he, he did. Thankfully, after that, we were able to recover and and, you know, and it's actually weird thinking back that there was only a few more games until until lockdown before then. By this point, uh, I think coronavirus was very much uh, in, in the national psyche. And I think none of us, though, could foresee what was going to happen. Um, there was that amazing 1-0 win over Swansea with Mitrovic in the last minute. And, and again, another game where, you know, just a little bit of quality proved for Fulham the difference uh, in the end. A fairly convincing 2-0 win uh, over, over Preston. And then a one-all draw away at Bristol City, um, which I still feel very fortunate that I decided to attend only because it's the last football game that any of us have uh, have had the chance to go to Uh, and Ben we were just building up a little bit of a head of steam going into what was some massive matches Um, but then obviously lockdown came and 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 just no one really really saw it coming how much of an effect do you think it had on Fulham because it's easy to look at the fact that we had four games unbeaten going into lockdown we were going into two massive games against Brentford and Leeds and thinking that ultimately we came away with losses once uh, football returned I just can't think that that was going to be the same outcome it had the season just carried on as normal of course it's all hypothetical no, but I agree. Um, I don't think we would have lost those games um, as convincingly as we did, to be quite honest with you, had we had that momentum going, in, going into uh, the game against Brentford and Leeds. Obviously, when you have the best part of three months off, you don't have any, well, any publicised um, friendlies before those games, as Brentford did um, and Leeds did. It's really hard to get that momentum back, obviously, as, as you say, you go into those two two games, which are, are pivotal games in the season, especially against two direct promotion rivals. You need to take points off them. It's always good to have momentum and not go from a standing start, sort of like lifting weights, isn't it? If you, if you stop that momentum, it becomes really, really hard to, to go again. Um, so I feel like um, lockdown, obviously, in the best interest of everyone in, in the country and then obviously Europe-wide, we had to lock down. Um, but in, in terms of Fulham season, um, lockdown came at, in my opinion at quite a bad time for us because as you say we had dragged ourselves off the canvas with that 1-0 win over Swansea we'd convincingly beat Preston 2-0 in, I would say one of the more comfortable games I've ever sat in um, me, and, me and Jack Collins Jack Collins smashed on his birthday <laughs> and then um, we put in a really really good performance against Bristol City and we, and we deserve to get more out of it so 
yeah, unfortunately, lockdown came at a bad point, but um, I feel like actually what, what turned one of my second most pivotal points of the season is, is actually that defeat away to Leeds because I think it just gave us a bit of a kick up the backside and we realised that we couldn't come out here and try and boss possession and leave ourselves as open as we were. Dom, that, that Leeds game really was a low point in the season. We spoke about Brentford being a low point, but after that Leeds game, I, I mean, we were, we were legitimately talking about not finishing um, inside the playoffs. We know that ultimately that's not what happened. And there was a big clamouring um, for change. And, and one of the more annoying things since last Tuesday has been a few people on Twitter um, saying things sometimes at us, not at us, and saying, Where are the Parker out brigade now? Um, I was very much thinking that I don't see the future for Scott. I wasn't necessarily saying that you sack him then. I think I actually specifically remember saying there's not much point sacking him now, but I don't see his future beyond this season. How wrong we were but it was really really bleak after that game because I just we, we'd lost two games by an aggregate of 5-0 and I didn't see a way forward yeah I mean obviously it looked obviously it, it will look bad if you're losing two games and aggregate of 5-0 I think that Brentford game I think the result looks a lot worse than it actually is oh actually was sorry I think actually we played fairly well in that game and we really should have won that game really we had the chances obviously there was a deck of every chance in the first half, you had the Mitrich offside goal, and obviously they, they they hit us with two goals late of death. The Leeds game in the first half, I'd argue, were probably the better side, but there just wasn't much game management, I'd argue, maybe in those two games. And yeah, there were there were, there were people calling for maybe not calling Barger's head, but there were people definitely saying that it's a genuine concern that we could finish outside the playoffs here. I think what we, I think we were lucky with. I, I can't. There was one result which meant that it, it was only one team who were in that seventh, I think it would have been Cardiff, who were, we could see potentially taking our place in, in that respect. But yeah, obviously we bounced back with that win against QPR, then that last gasp uh, win against Birmingham. I think everyone was ready to tweet out about the stats since Fulham's last uh, home nil nil, which I think was, was it 2012 or something? I think something yeah. crazy like that. But I think an actual, we, obviously we will get on to pivotal moments of the season, but I think a big one was the away win at Nottingham Forest. Because obviously they yeah. were another top six side. We didn't have a great record against other top six teams at this stage. I think that win away at Nottingham Forest, although it was, was it was scrappy, I think it was actually a very, very big moment of the season that we're talking post-lockdown. It was a massive moment, Farrell. And another big moment post-lockdown was the 0-0 draw away at the Hawthorns because, well, we look back at it now with hindsight, a win for Fulham would have meant top two and and Parker just didn't go for it that day and it, it, I mean again academic now because of what's happened but if let's say we hadn't have won the playoff final I would still look back at that game and think just there was nothing to lose that day Scott if you'd have just let the handbrake off but we didn't and that was that was frustrating I think there's there are two things here I think that we were frustrated the fact that you know we didn't seem to go for it until you know the very very late stage of the game I think credit does have to go to Slavin Bilic here. Like, I think it was a resolute um, defensive performance. I think for their game plan was not to lose that game. And it, it did work well for them. There, you know, there wasn't really much of anything, of much of note in that game at all. Um, I don't think that any side came, came out with any glory per se, but West Brom, had, West Brom certainly had a game plan to stifle anything that Fulham could throw at them. And, and it worked well for them. And, you know, they're, they, they're sitting second in the league. They are now a Premier League team. It was always going to be difficult for Fulham to break break them down. Um, and it, that's how that's how it came about. Um, and, you know, when if, if you're looking in those sorts of contexts, then perhaps it wasn't the res- worst result in the world, um, particularly when you consider the, the run of form that Fulham had been on and, you know, conceding chances was something that Fulham were getting better and better at. And, you know, when you look back on it now, and it's obviously impossible to tell, perhaps the lockdown, if you are looking for some positive in, in such a crazy situation, that perhaps that the long-term vision of Scott Parker and, and working on a particular style of play came at quite a good moment because they could actually work on it. I don't know exactly what the players and what the, the, the team were looking at, but... 
you know, when you've got a long-term vision for this particular particular squad, perhaps a couple of months off to sort of reassess and and try and drill into the into the squad how 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 the, you want the team to play um, is actually quite you know turned out to be quite a good thing in the end. And you know, we we were always a team that that conceded lots of chances, lots of goals, and then you know that West Brom game came on the back of that was four clean sheets in a row. Who would have thought that we could say that about a Fulham team? Um, but that was completely blown out of the water with the next game when we uh, when it was the Sheffield Wednesday five three game when you couldn't really catch a breath in that one. No, uh, the the one game in lockdown that I decided to to not properly watch, and I'd watched nil nils and uh, one nils being uh, grudged out, and then the next game was decided to be an absolute goal fest five three, and I decided to um, just watch the catch up later. I was a little bit disappointed by that. Um, ben, there's not too much point in this particular podcast going into what happened at the very end of the season. We we we've covered that in immense detail in the last few weeks, of course, but. Um, it was an amazing run from Fulham. It was six wins, two draws, uh, and just that one loss um, in that Cardiff game going into the final um, at Brentford. We'd, we'd adapted the style. We'd become this team that was really, really hard to break down. And once they got their noses in front, were, were dogged and determined to, to keep that lead. Scott Parker has built, um, has built an identity for Fulham. We spoke about it all season. Why doesn't Fulham have more of an identity? I could understand what the Slav side was. I don't understand what Scott's trying to achieve. And in the end, at the 11th hour, he did actually build one. And this one maybe has got a little bit more longevity going into a Premier League season. As you rightly say, it gives us a bit more of a, of a stepping stone because um, it's a lot more closed than Slav system ever was. Obviously, Slav system is incredibly um, nice to watch, and it, it's great on the eye. Um, the amount of passing and and the different transitions in play um, and the patterns in play. But Scots is a little bit more. It's sort of like uh, a hybrid style between Slav and then the the British game of sort of like shut things down, be a bit more physical, um, and be a bit more compact. Um, play the percentages a little bit more. Uh, and I feel like that didn't really come to the fore until we sort of lost to Leeds. And then at which point it was, OK, guys, look, we're trying to play a certain way, um, but we're being found out a little bit. How can we transition this squad? And I think it it emerged that there were going to be some bigger characters needed in, in, in the way that we played this system. You know, um, Josh Onoma coming in and being that link between the midfield and, and the forwards who were at times looked really, really isolated, especially in those game, that game away at Leeds uh, and at periods before lockdown. Um, and I feel like uh, on the transition, we were much better. We, we, were, we were incisive with, with taking our chances. And I think that all, that all points towards bit of a stepping stone towards the Premier League obviously we found this out two seasons ago that teams can punish you in the blink of an eye you give them half a yard and uh, and ultimately there's going to be a, a killer pass against you or or a shot or, or, or a goal um, and I feel like Fulham are a bit more ch- in tune with that style of Premier League play now and demonstrated that over the over the uh, the seven games going into that into that playoff final against Brentford. Okay, so w- before we take a break and answer some questions, I sent you guys a WhatsApp yesterday, and I asked you to look through the season as a whole and tell me your favourites in the following categories. And then I said, excluding the playoffs, please, um, because most of them you could make an argument for it being Joe Bryan. Uh, so your favourite game. Uh, your favourite goal in terms of technique, of which you can include the playoff final, that's fine. Your favourite goal in terms of moment uh, and three pivotal moments in the season. So, Dom, I will start with you. So, for game, I actually chose Swansea away just because it was class. Um, okay, I, I <laughs> um, had a feeling that you may do this. <laughs> um, but if we're talking about actual what is best game of the season, I don't think you can really look past the Sheffield Wednesday at home uh, post-lockdown because it was absolutely mental. I was watching it with my dad and my, we were like, well, what is happening here? Like, <laughs> uh, generally, what is happening? Um, then are you moving on to goal with technique? I, I chose all of these just excluding the playoffs in general. I actually, I'm actually going to go with um, Harry Arter's goal against Villa in the Cup. The way the, oh, the way yeah. he the way he swazzes that straight into the top bins <laughs> is is absolutely <laughs> ludicrous. <laughs> like it was, yeah. it, we scored two. We scored two absolute screams that game. Knockout scored one, literally just previous to it as well. Um, when it comes to goal, when it comes when it, the actual moment, 
I wasn't there, but it, I think it was, yeah, I think yeah, there, there was two games I missed pre-lockdown, which was Brentford away and, and Swansea at home. And I saw the result of Swansea at home. I was out in Braga watching Ryan Kent tear Portuguese defences to pieces. Um, but no, that moment, I guess that moment, that was such a big win against Swansea. And I think if you're looking, if we're looking post-lockdown, I actually think a massive moment pro- actually would have been that Josh Onema goal against Birmingham. I think that was actually a big moment because it was it was a very very jab affair, but it can we it, it continued. Obviously, if we drew that game, then I think actually the run we went on might not have actually happened. I think building on that win against QPR with that last cast draw was actually a big moment. Um, maybe it wasn't maybe the most celebrated moment, but I do think it was a big moment for us. I think, but I think if you if you're looking at a goal moment, was I think at that that Mitrovic goal against Swansea at home was was probably probably up there. Then when it comes to pivotal moments of the season, obviously you spoke about the Leeds game and how the sort of points gap changed. I do think a big pivotal moment was actually the loss to Brentford in in a weird way. I think when it comes to pivotal moments, I I look at the, you spoke about obviously beating Leeds at home and how the the points gap changed, but I actually think the loss away at Brentford seemed a pivotal moment just because something definitely did change that day and, and and all the better for it. I actually think a lot of our pivotal moments were actually the losses previous to going on winning runs. I think that they, they were quite big as well. I think if you look if you're looking post lockdown, I, I think I spoke about it previously. I think that Nottingham Forest away win was big because our our record against top six sides, especially away from them, wasn't great at that point. I think that was a big I don't know what I don't know if I say statement of intent, but it showed that, you know, we we are here to, you know, go for promotion because after that loss away at Leeds a few games earlier, everyone was thinking, will we even finish in the top six? And I think another big moment in the season actually would was for me was that that Millwall game because I you know up until that point those wins against Blackburn and Huddersfield weren't exactly convincing and then that Millwall game really showed that we we are here to you know go back up this season we're not here to maybe do do stay down for one season, sort of rebuild, then go for a port promotion push the next season. So I th- there, was, there, was, there was many pivotal points this season, but I think those three for me, just because they meant such different things at the stage in time, the Mill game showed what we were about. I think the Brentford loss really caused a change in the mentality of this side. And then that, that win away at Nottingham Forest really showed that, no, we may have lost our first few games in lockdown, but we are here to get promoted. Okay, I love it. Uh, Farrell, I'll, put, I'll go over to you next. So just uh, run through your choices. Um, <laughs> so it was funny that Dom picked a game where it was just a class away day. My, my game of the season was also a class away day, even though the, the game was absolute toilet. And that was the Hull away game. Uh, where we won one nil. It was such a good. It was day. running for that train. Yeah, it was running for that train at the end. I mean, I, I love. We were all running for the train on, to get back, and everyone was kind of panicking whether we we're going to get there or not. And I ran into Dom literally uh, on the way back, and we're all sort of like fretting about whether we're going to make it or not. And then, literally, as we're just about to get there, he spots an off license and just runs in, even though that there is uh, probably only about twenty seconds to spare to reach that train. Best performance <laughs> of the best performance of the day goes to Dom Betts. It was an absolute toilet game of football, but it had everything that you wanted from an away day. I also had goal technique-wise. I, I, I also had the Arta Arta goal against Villa, but I'll, I'll go for I'll go for a different one. Um, and I'll actually one I wanted to pick from pick from out of nowhere. I wanted to pick the um, Mitrovic goal away at Swansea. I think it was sorry, where it was Kamara's cross, and he finished absolutely brilliantly a goal that was worthy of of a premier league striker you know and a lot hardly any of the goals that Mitrovic scored this season actually got into the into the goal of the season which is quite crazy for a player who has scored 26 goals and is the, the top goal scorer in the in the uh, in all of the country in the top four leagues it was a fairly okay cross but it's behind him and he makes something of it turn into just a, a finish that no keeper in the world would have been able to start. Goal that was a real, real moment was the Swansea at home with the last minute goal. It's a brilliant header, but also I think it shows the re-emergence of Abubakar Kamara, someone who really does actually can actually do a lot for this team. And he's not just a come on and do his firecracker routine and try and take on absolutely everyone and do it all himself and, and mess it up while he does it. I mean, the composure that he shows to take that pass and fire in an excellent, excellent cross in for, for Mitrovic to finish well is a big moment for, for him and, and the team. 
In terms of pivotal moments, I think Hector joining and I had down as his first real out-and-out solid performance was the home game against uh, Middlesbrough. The scoreline only shows 1-0, but we were by far the better team. And not only were we creating chances at will, but we kept them at bay solidly. They had, you know, Gestead up front, who is an absolute shithouse. But Hector, uh, well, Reem and in particular Hector, were absolutely brilliant that day. And I think that kind of, for me, it really solidified Michael Hector as someone that we really needed in this team. I spoke about earlier, Rodak getting the nod in. The other one was the QPR away game after lockdown. Thinking back on it, no team was any better than the other. And it could have easily finished a draw or it could have easily finished a QPR win. But that Christie goal was quite a moment because not only did we get the win and launched us into sort of like a bit of confidence and grinding out results, um, but also the fact that Christie had an excellent performance that day as well. And he has thrown off the shackles of any sort of murmurs that he's not good enough for this Fulham team. You know, it showed that we can grind out results. Okay. And Ben, uh, what are your choices for the season? Okay. So uh, for the game, I had Millwall at home um, just because I feel like that was our most complete performance in terms of, uh, of everything that we wanted to achieve in the early parts of the season. Obviously, 4-0, four, four home win, four great goals. Uh, for the goal uh, with the best technique, I, I I really had to to struggle between two here, and I think I, I went for Bobby Deckard over Reed against Huddersfield mm. because it, it from from start to finish I think it it oozes class and it oozes skill um, because it's really hard to bring a ball down when it's pinged from you from one side of the pitch from the other uh, and, and to bring it down to your chest in such a basically on the touchline and then skip past uh, two defenders into the box, past a couple more, and then to finish with the aplomb that Bobby did then. Uh, I think it demonstrated um, some real class uh, and, and some real individual technique. Uh, and then my goal moment, I feel like um, it is Josh Onomer against Cardiff in, in the in the playoff semi-final, just because um, I, it's, it's one of the goals that has literally gotten me out of my seat um, screaming and shouting because that game was so tight uh, and it took that moment of brilliance for, for the, both of the teams to be divided there on that night uh, and I haven't felt that happy to see someone score a goal that good in a long time. Um, my three pivotal moments of the season are uh, Leeds at home because I felt like uh, Parker was written off the whole squad was written off, and I feel like, uh, as a couple of guys already said, like um, we we hunkered down, we we weathered the storm, and we got a massive win that um, propelled us up the table. Uh, a second, uh, my second pivotal moment was was the arrival of Michael Hector in, in January. Um, as Dom said earlier on, on a couple of segments, um, we started to win games by the odd goal. We started to to get keep more and more clean sheets. I feel like. Um, our playing out of the back got much better as well. If you look at that game against Luton Town away on Boxing Day, the amount of times Fulham tried to play out the back and ultimately it led to, to three goals against us, uh, three easy mistakes that could have easily been avoided and everyone around that time was saying, well, we hope Hector comes in and it completely changes and it did. Um, and then my third pivotal moment of the season, I've kind of given two games here. Because it was the leads away after lockdown where we got completely trounced. Uh, we, were, we were very, very easily beaten by that lead squad. And I think it, it demonstrated that we couldn't play a certain way. And then the, the QPR game um, where, where we, were, we were away from home again. We had a very early setback. Uh, but, but ultimately, we managed to drag ourselves up off the canvas, uh, play a completely different way. And then it, it sparked us into, into a long unbeaten run into, that, into those playoffs. Okay, well, um, I fully agree with all your choices. I think they're all uh, fantastic. So thank you for those. I will take a quick break and then afterwards we'll answer some of your questions. If you're looking for an awesome Fulhamish gift or maybe some clobber for yourself, we've got a great range of Fulham and Fulhamish merch like t-shirts, mugs and posters with all proceeds going towards the future running of Fulhamish. Check it out at fulhamish.co.uk forward slash shop. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here and I'm joined by Don Betts. Hello, hello. Farrell Monk. Ahoy hoy. And Ben Jarman. Hola a todos. 
Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, Fulhamish playoff winning merch still very much available. Uh, the Life of Brian t-shirt, which has uh, sold like hotcakes. Uh, the limited edition uh, playoff winning mask. And also uh, there is a playoff winning poster as well. Uh, do check them out. Shop.fulhamish.co.uk. We've been selling absolutely loads. So get them before they sell out. Okay. Some questions for you. Uh, first one from John Harkness. Lots of chat about keeping this side together for the Premier League. Is this Hart ruling the head when it comes to the roster? Uh, there are several players not up to Premier League level. Reminds me of the saying, the road to ruin is paved with good intentions. Dom, your thoughts? I, I can see where he's coming from because, you know, but I think one thing that's made a massive difference this time is it, last time we got promoted, we, we did have to sign that many players. It's a bit like Villa this season and the fact that you know, we only had, what, 14, 15, 13 players. I think securing the players we had on loan this season makes it different to last time because we've got five or six more players in our squad generally anyway. I think you look at you look at players here and they're young, fairly, not maybe not, they're not youngsters, but you've got players who maybe haven't proven themselves in the Premier League yet, but you can sort of sense that they, w- they would be able to do that. Players like Harrison Reed, if we have to secure his services, players like Josh Onoma, you, you would argue that, being in a championship, the likes of Cavalero and Knockart didn't necessarily have a huge amount to prove in the championship. But I think now that them being in the Premier League, we might actually see better performance from them because they know that they haven't really shown themselves to be as good as they can be in the Premier League. So I think we, we all know signings will need to be made. And I think it particularly in the defensive area, I think you're looking at Rodak and Hector and you you could say we we would necessarily need to improve in the other three positions in another centre back a right back and a left back here you know let's let's not forget you know that we have been the, the fullback area has been one of the weaker points of this side at, at certain times especially we saw that in the Premier League last time so I think it's as if you listen to the interview that Joe Bryan did with David Ornstein for the Athletic, he sort of talks about team spirit. And I think that's the big thing. It's not about how many players you bring in or how much money we spend. It's about keeping that team spirit and bringing in players who are going to work in this team. This, in, in that sense, I don't think it's necessarily about, oh, we need to spend this amount of money. We need to bring this amount of players in. It's just bringing players in who will seamlessly fit into the ethos and spirit of this side. Which is why, Farrell, it's quite confusing that so many of the links so far this summer have been for players that were here during the last relegation campaign. Um, As much as I really enjoyed players like Callum Chambers, and obviously there's been so many links with Ryan Sessegnon as well, um, it seems a little bit bizarre that nearly all the links seem to be for players that that were here during a season that was little short think, of disaster. I think somewhat it's it's easy to link those players because, I mean, they're these are players who are, you know, thinking specifically about Babel and Sessegnon and Chambers left the club under good terms, and they are all relatively available. Um, so it's easy for them to be linked again. And you, I don't know where these links come from. They might be born out of something. They might be born out of like a, a small inquiry. Uh, but, you know, I don't think there's anything more to it than if they are red hot off the, off the, off, you know, out of the, out of Tony Khan's mouth or anything like that. Um, but, you know, Looking at those, I don't. I don't necessarily think it's the worst thing in the world to to bring back. You know, maybe one or two of those players. But you know, I think that I think Dom has put it actually. You know, really, really well. That you know, the important thing right now is actually keeping a lot of this squad together. And and as we know, under Scott Parker and previously under, under Slavisa, the way that the team is set up and how they do their work on the training ground does take a long time to, to come together and, you know, to actually disturb that by bringing three or four first teamers in would probably be a bit of a disaster. Like we saw last time in the Premier League. And um, so, you know, in that regard, and also under the regard that, you know, there's probably financial fair play coming involved that we're going to have a a huge reduction in revenue coming up uh, with there being no attendances. So, it's not exactly that Tony Khan can can go out and sign loads and loads of players. And also, the other thing is, for me, that I like this squad. I like this team of players. I don't think we need to just upset the apple cart too much. And I don't think Scott Parker does either. 
I'm going to stay with you for this one, Faz, as our uh, referee in chief. Uh, Killer Cabano, uh, who, by the way, I absolutely love his bio, which is uh, when in doubt, give it to Cabano. And uh, I couldn't agree with any bio in the history of bios more. Um, How much will VAR impact us in the Prem? He says Mitro, Abu, Steph Joe, Arta are all hotheads. Uh, his opinion, not mine. Uh, will we be seeing more suspensions for them? Uh, it is potentially one negative of going to the Prem. Uh, and I know that uh, I, I, I know a few Norwich fans and they are very relieved to not have VAR next season. Um, I can certainly think of a few moments this year, Faz, where VAR wouldn't have been very kind. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's obviously the retrospective suspension for Mitrovic against Leeds, uh, which didn't actually harm us too much in the end. Um, you know, there was there was certainly calls that the choke slam that Mitrovic did versus against um Brentford in the in the final when he came on. Um I think that was fair. I, yeah, I mean considering it was against yeah, <laughs> only because exactly, it was against the against Mark Mark I'm I'm all for it really. Um but I think that you actually probably look at some of the smaller things that Mitrovic does, you know, coming, you know, some of his um his method, shall we say, of of trying to sort of bully opposition defenders off the ball when crosses come in, getting that extra half a yard of space to 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 get a good head on it, maybe probably would be uh, disallowed via VAR. Um, I'm I'm not a huge advocate of, of of VAR in its current format. It does take way too long to make decisions, and some of the stuff that they do, you know, it it if it's there to help. Uh, if it's there to sort of like help go against any sort of obvious mistakes, then keep it to that. But to sort of keep banging this drum about sort of like looking things over and over and over again to try and get exactly the right decision, it, it kind of draws away from the spectacle somewhat. But yeah, I, I think that I think we we see some of the stuff that the squad do is a bit suspect, but nothing that's against the rules or anything like that. You know, most often the time when Johansson fell someone when they're on the counter attack. It's a yellow card. Nothing, nothing more doing. Um, so I don't think it's going to make a huge difference to the way we play or anything like that. Okay, Ben. Uh, this one from John Stanton. Uh, which team is better, this one or seventeen eighteen? My first thought is to say seventeen eighteen is the much better team and way more enjoyable to watch. But when you think about it, we have a better goalkeeper now, better centre back, are more solid and reliant on fewer loans. Uh, your thoughts on, on what John said? I think uh, it makes a lot of sense, Ben. Yeah, I think uh, it does make a lot of sense. I, I agree um, to an extent. I think um, obviously the style of football, is, as you rightly says, is is very different. Um, so it's not like you can compare apples to apples um, to a certain extent, I guess. Um, I like the depth of this squad a bit more. Uh, I feel like we've got a lot more options, especially in, in the wider areas uh, and in midfield that can make... Um, that can have a positive impact on the game. Um, I do think there is work to be had at centre half and fullback, though, uh, in in exactly the same way that there was in seventeen eighteen. I feel like the squads are potentially on a par in terms of quality, but in terms of the mentality, I feel like this squad is better. This squad knows how to to dig deeper, to to draw to draw out results, and and how to hold firm against um, waves and waves of counter attacking. So I feel I feel like stylistically. Uh, and, and the football they play probably about the same, but m- mentality-wise, this squad is a lot stronger than the I other one. I think one thing you could you could talk about with this team. I think if you're looking, maybe you could argue that if you're looking at points totals, that Slovenia kind of decide is maybe a better championship team. But I think you could argue this team is maybe more suited to going into the Premier League with maybe Scott Parker at the helm, just because of how sort of sturdy and how especially post lockdown we've been at the back. There was there was a point uh, there was there, there was a point yeah, earlier on in the season before any sort of like um, belief that we were actually going to go into the Premier League, um, and someone mentioned that I think this squad right now with Scott Parker would probably do a better job in the Premier League than we ever did under Savisa. And I think that rings true somewhat. Okay, uh, next question. I'll put put this one your way, Dom, uh, from Dan. He says, thoughts on sacking Parker and getting Tony Khan in instead? Now, um, I know that Dan's obviously being facetious and lots of us have read that Times article uh, that has been done with Tony Khan. And some of it doesn't come across 
great. Um, I saw someone saying that a, a key uh, tip in business is to stop saying I and start saying we. And while some of his stuff may have been taken a little bit out of context, there was a bit of an element of that. And also, he was also very dismissive very quickly of of Ryan Sessegnon. Um I will maybe forgive Tony that sometimes journalists do contort your words, but also that he is a man that probably should know that by now and has a lot of advisors. So my sympathy is 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 minimal to say the least. Uh, it was it was an interesting article, wasn't it, Dom? Yeah, it was with Alison Rudd in the Times, wasn't it? I think that what Tony was saying was perfectly fine. I just I I just think a lot of the time the way it's just the way he says things and the way he reports on certain things. As you said, he says, I, a lot. He seems to make it about himself as opposed to about the club or Scott Parker as a whole. Obviously he came out and said, yeah, it was obviously, we obviously knew it wasn't his idea to play Bubikov Kamara up in the final. I mean, that's, that's, that's fairly obvious. We haven't got Ralph Ranjit part two. Um, but I, I feel like he's, I think yeah, the intentions are there and I understand what he was trying to say. I just think he needs to learn how to say things. He, he he never seems to help himself whenever he does any form of mainstream media. Apart from maybe the Fulhamish podcast, I would argue he came out fairly well from, but uh, uh, I digress. Uh, I think it's there's, there's a case of like, there's some Americanisms in, in the way that Tony speaks. And I feel like that potentially doesn't translate itself very well into written media. Um, uh, although I, I do completely agree, he shouldn't keep saying I this, I that. It should be a case of we. But I do feel like there, there could be just some some Americanisms or, or small things that just do get mistranslated. And Sammy, on your point of like Sessignon on the earlier question, I completely agree with you. Like We shouldn't be fawning for players that played for us two seasons ago when we had a, a drastically disastrous season, you know. I've seen uh, links to Callum Chambers and people saying, should Callum come back? Yeah, he had a great season for us, but in reality, it was in a team that was utterly, utterly terrible and wasn't designed for for the Premier League in, in any way, shape or form. And, and to have Cesc back, I feel like we're looking at it with a little bit of rose-tinted glasses here. I'm not sure that signing any of the players that we had in the Premier League first time round or well, second time round are, um, are going to be the right way to go for us this season. It just, th- these are players that, upset the apple cart first time around why would we sign them again second time around um farrell i'll give the final question to you this one's from alex yayo what would give us a better chance of staying up next season signing the ginger assassin on a perm or dropping the disaster bet shirt sponsor so it's a great question from alex we cannot keep daffer bet next season we know the curse <laughs> yeah exactly is the ginger assassin steve sidwell oh, i hope not um he is another ginger assassin, but I assume he's talking about Harrison oh, Reed. But course. Steve Sidwell was also a, a, a ginger assassin. Yeah, um, of course. I mean, Harrison Reed is obviously ready to make that step up to the Premier League. Um, he has got some experience there uh, in his slightly younger days with Southampton, but um, we've seen what he brings to this this team, and he certainly fits into the ethos and and the mentality that Scott Parker wants wants from his players. Um, but Obviously, yeah, drop Daffabet. <laughs> I think dropping the blue kit as yeah. well would also would also be nice. Yeah, and uh, Brentford learned the hard way. Do not play your biggest final in blue. It never works. Uh, right, that should do for today's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Bit of a bumper one. Uh, and this is our final podcast of the season, really. But because the season comes around back so quickly, you probably won't even notice. So unless anything major happens and Lionel Messi gets unveiled uh, with a picture of Tony Khan and a Fulham scarf uh, in the next two weeks. Our next planned podcast uh, is going to be released on August the 30th, which is a couple of weeks before the start of the Premier League season. Uh, We're going to take a little bit of a break, but who knows what might happen between here and then. So uh, you may be seeing an emergency podcast landing in your podcast feeds. Um, Thank you very much to my guests today. Thank you very much to Don Ben. It's all right. Hope you have lots of Aperols in the sun whilst Fulhamish takes a mini break. Of course. I mean, it's not like I haven't been doing that for the last week. So he's got he's got just a fridge and you open it. There's no food in there. It's just Aperol spritz. Uh, Farrell, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sammy. And Jarms underscore Ballon underscore Door. Thank you very much. 
Thank you very much, Sammy. Cheers for having us and cheers for your support all season. Yeah, thank you for everyone for, for listening. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to be on Fulhamish this season and, and roll on next season and hopefully a slightly better crack at the Premier League than the last time we were in it. Have a good few weeks. Enjoy the sunshine if you have it. Come on, you whites. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hey, it's Maria Hinojosa here. And Julio Ricardo Varela. We are the co-hosts of the Roundtable podcast, In the Thick, where we talk about politics, race, and culture from a people of color perspective. That's right. Every Tuesday and Friday, we bring you the latest political news, covering the stories and issues that matter to communities of color with amazing POC journalists, activists, and academics from all over the country. So you're not going to want to miss our coverage because we have a lot of fun. We do. Which means that on election night, November 3rd, we are going to be hosting a live virtual show to give you the much-needed POC perspective on this crucial night in our country. Follow us on social media at In The Thick Show to make sure you don't miss the updates and this live analysis. Subscribe to In The Thick wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast. 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 recommends.